Hey folks, welcome to the Uncommon Lectionary Podcast, a podcast for youth and young adult ministry within the church. This is your host, John Bauman. Welcome to the Uncommon Lectionary Podcast. Podcast. Welcome. So today, <laughs> today is our 24th episode of the Uncommon Lectionary Podcast. The readings and message of this episode are for Sunday, October 8th, and I am following the revised Common Lectionary schedule, which you can find on textweek.com. So this week, I am joined by my friend, Kyle Landiak. Hey, I'm back! He was with us in episode 17, which is called Living Stones and Mobile Temples. So, what? That was my idea. (laughs) So if you haven't checked that out, um, please do. It was a a nice conversation to have. Um, Also joining us is my friend Luke, who went to college with Kyle and I at Cairn University. Cairn. Um, we actually just got called by the Alumni Association the oh, other day. Yeah. And it was really funny. I was gonna. They, I was thinking that they were going to ask for money. I did so too. So I was all prepared to be like, um, no, you took mine already every month. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Stop it. Leave me alone. <laughs> no, so we were in Giant. So John came out last night. So we're at my place right now in Middletown, Pennsylvania. And so John's recording off-site, and I was actually able to acquire some recording equipment which, shout out to Middletown Church of God. Um, I worked with them for about a year now, working with uh, doing outreach to college students, and they were willing to let me borrow a new mixer of theirs and a couple microphones. So we wouldn't be doing this three-person podcast uh, without them. So thank you to Middletown First Church of God. Um, but John came out last night, uh, and we were out doing some last-minute grocery shopping for the weekend, and... <laughs> the alumni office of our alma mater called me first talking about our homecoming visit. Um, and then they called John immediately after. And John looks at his phone and he goes, who's calling me? I'm like, I bet you anything it's Karen calling about homecoming. He goes, really? I'm like, answer it and let me know. Sure enough, I was right. <laughs> it was pretty hilarious. Um, so um, Kyle introduced himself a little bit. Um, but um, so we'll circle back to Kyle. Um, Luke Guy, um, do you want to? We, we call Luke Luke Guy. Um, Luke, do you want to introduce yourself? Talk a little bit about whatever. Say things. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, hey guys, I'm Luke. Uh, I am close friends with both Kyle and John. We have been probably since the beginning of uh, our college career together. Uh, I am. Classically trained as a tenor, I can sing opera, so woot. Uh, You're such a music major. (laughs) It's really bad when you start harmonizing with machinery. It's really, really bad. (laughs) I've done that with a microwave so many times. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm not going to be self-righteous about it. I've done it too. (laughs) Right? So true. Aside from that, I'm very artistic and I'm very... uh, I'm trying to think of what else I could tell you. Um, aside from that, I would say musically gifted, uh, artistically gifted, uh, passionate about Jesus, and especially the leading of the Holy Spirit. He's pretty legit, folks. Yeah. So Kyle and I are thankful that Luke can join us today. Um, and Kyle, I'm sorry, I have to adjust my mic height. It's going to sound horrible. Um, 
So anyway, with that being said, the format to this week is going to be informal. We'll have our time of confession, then we'll read the scriptures, and then we'll just have a conversation. Um, so with that being said, let's get our hearts and minds ready for the scriptures and message of this podcast episode through saying a prayer of confession from the Book of Common Prayer. Feel free to follow along, guys, in, with the words in the episode description. Um, guys sitting here. Um, yeah. You don't have to. I can just do it. Why don't you just do it? I can't really see your laptop from here. All right, Same. here we go. Um, I thought I had to burp. Okay, so here's a confession. <clears throat> Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. And you know what? I usually say a good word of assurance of pardon, like saying, you know, you are forgiven, you know, by the blood of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to turn that over to Luke. I feel like he can give you some really good words to say. I actually had a really, really powerful vision and encounter with the crucifixion of Jesus, which left me completely undone. I saw it uh, not from a physical standpoint, but from more of a, of a spiritual standpoint. What I learned from that was that Jesus passionately loves us. It's not, it's not, oh, by the way, I love you. It's, I am so madly in love with you that I, though I don't need you to exist, I couldn't bear the idea of living without you. That's the kind of love that Jesus expresses, especially by not only getting beaten mocked, spat upon, all the physical stuff, but also the spiritual hell, literally, that he endured. That is, that's the love of God in a really, really powerful picture. It shows a more accurate way of how he loves us. So, I feel like, yes, confession of sin is important, but I think Jesus would rather us not focus on the sin, but rather focus on the love that he has for us and that we have for him. This is a relationship, not, not a business transaction. Yeah, I don't think I would view it as a business transaction. Um, I would view it as the beauty of a church tradition that I'm a part of now is that we come together every week and we say these prayers of confession together as a body. So to me, that's really beautiful because it shows that we're all broken. It shows that we're all... Um, <coughs> it shows that we're all in need of God's grace. Mm -hmm. um, and in a lot of church cultures, um, we believe that we are on our own, that we are alone. So to me, confession is a beautiful thing, not to be viewed as far as coming before God expecting to be punished, but knowing that though you deserve punishment, 
that you receive blessing. Yeah. So I think that that's really important. Um, but anyway, if, if that doesn't convince you, um, anybody who's listening, that you are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, then uh, I don't know what will. Um, it's a really powerful thing that affects us each and every day. So with that being said, um, let's get into our scripture passages. Kai was reading Isaiah <laughs> chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. From the ESV version. Let me sing of my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. And I will, sh- I, it will, sh- I, I, I word good. Starting back in verse five. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that rain, no, that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. All right. Next scripture passage is from Psalms chapter 80, verses 7 through 15. John, it's the other way. Stop giving me flack for looking in the Bible when you can't even find Psalms. I forgot to, uh, I forgot to sing the song to myself. <laughs> um, 80 verses 7 through 15. Okay. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea, and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls, so that all who pass along may along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, for the son whom you made strong for yourself. And they burned it with fire. They cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. I think I actually uh, went ahead by two verses. No big deal. Um, Lucas, go to Matthew chapter 21. Um, and you're going to be verses 33 to 46. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard 
and, and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat the first. And they, didn't, and then, and they did the same to the rest of them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to the other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Thank you, sir. Um, and I can read Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 14. Are you sure you know where it is? I'm going to try. <laughs> so we're going to edit this out later, but for those who, uh, for those who are actually listening to this, um, there's been a few mishaps where I've actually told Luke and Kyle to read the wrong scriptures. No, you or, told Luke the right one, but I still blamed you. I, I was taking full credit. It's okay. Um, here we go. Here's Philippians. Galatians eat okay. pork chops. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 14. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as, a, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that, I've, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards a goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. So before we get into our discussion on those passages, I, as the... Um, um, 
host, host, I guess, um, have to share um, kind of what I would do because this is what I'm going to do for youth group this week. Um, if you're unfamiliar to the podcast, I go through the lectionary schedule of readings, which you can find in textweek.com, and I go through those readings and formulate a lesson that is geared more towards youth ministry. So for this week, I'm uh, we're going through a series of identity and. Um, um, for this week, the question that I asked is, what does it really mean to follow God? And I have these three things, you know, be faithful, be mindful, be genuine. So the first, be faithful. If you read the Isaiah passage, it's all about um, following the commands of God. Jesus still cares about following commands and rules and all, all those things. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So Christians can't really get away from that. However, we obviously aren't bound by the law, but we are bound by the law of Christ Jesus, which is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Second is be mindful. And that comes out of the Matthew passage today where the people who are in the watchtower just don't know their place. They, they don't know God's place, rather. They don't know that God is the owner of the vineyard, and they are just there tending the fields. So we have to be mindful in our identity. We have to know God's place over us. The next is to be genuine. So in the Philippians passage, Paul is saying, look, I've done all these things. I should be esteemed. And in the Psalm passage, it's saying, God, come rescue us, you know, all those things. And in here, we find what the people in the vineyard lacked, what the people in Isaiah lacked, which is a genuine, humble faith that knows their place under God's headship and knows that they need to be following God with all their heart, not in a way of just trying to keep the rules, but genuinely following and striving after God, seeking to conform their life to his um, statutes to his rules. So, um, so that's kind of the direction that I'm going to head for my lesson. Um, but I wanted to this podcast episode to be more of a conversation. So, with that being said, I'm going to hand it over, um, Kyle or Luke, if you have anything to add first. Go ahead. I just want to go on record and say, uh, as far as guest spots go on your podcast, I'm two for two. So you know how Paul wrote about not being prideful and, you know, not counting it as righteous? You know, Kyle's just like, I am the second of two podcasters. I was the first guest, and I'm still the second. Yeah. Well, I'll put Luke as second. I'll, okay. put, I'll bill myself as third. <laughs> okay. There you go, Luke. Solid. You're technically the second guest on this podcast. Gee, yes. thanks. <laughs> yes. If I had a cookie, I would give it to you, but I ate it. It's <laughs> probably factual. Um, yeah, so um, um, go, go ahead. I know that Kyle had some thoughts. I know that Luke had, yeah. Yeah, had some thoughts. I'm going to have kind of... Um, well, t tell you what. I'm going to have you go, and then Luke... Um, Luke's focus is more on the identity component, and he can kind of weave sure. his into yours and sure. then connect back to mine. Okay. Um, so as I was reading, John sent the, the scriptures ahead to us before this weekend uh, we're, that we're recording. Um, so as I was reading, m my observations, my, my kind of thought process went in two different directions. The first one 
was kind of focusing on how the passages tend to focus on um, corporate Israel, right? Um, Israel as a corporate entity. Uh, they were chosen as God's people. They were given his uh, blessing. They were given his placement of being his representative among the nations. Um, and ultimately coming to the point of Isaiah and Psalms where, and even Jesus' parable where it's like, y'all done blew it. <laughs> yeah. um, and like you had it, you could have done it, but you, you know, you forsook the covenant and, and the stipulations that came with it. Um, which was just as the same as it was the stipulations being the same that is Jesus laid out in the old, like love the Lord, your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Like that was it. That's pretty much all Israel had to do. Um, and I think the interesting thing for me was, I was like, I was thinking about it and I go, okay, uh, if God is having this conversation of, um, conversation with Israel where he's saying, this was your job. You had one job. He had one job. Y'all had one job. You done messed up a a wrong, and you blew it. Mm -hmm. And therefore, things are gonna have to happen. I'm gonna have to. Sh I'm gonna have to change things. Uh, basically, God takes takes it and flips the script. And he says, "Okay, well, you know what? Here's here's Jesus. Here's the new covenant." Mm. Um, if 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 God was willing to have that kind of conversation with Israel. I find it hard to believe that he's not, he wouldn't be willing to have that conversation with um, components of the church, the, the capital C universal entity of the church. Oh, wow. Oh, snap. Get it. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> that happened, everyone. <laughs> Again, I, you know what? I'm happy to be on this podcast, but then things like that happen. I go, why? <laughs> why am I here? Last time. Last time, John threw me under the bus. Goes, oh, yeah, here's my friend Kyle. The one thing you absolutely have to know about him is that he's single. And he is still single. You're never, I'm never coming back. <laughs> well, you did walk right into that one. I know That's I factual. It's true. I won't deny it. Um, anyway, getting back on, on topic. <laughs> getting back on topic. Um... The other side of what I, where my thought process took me with these scriptures was uh, something when I was a kid and I would go to events, uh, go to friends' birthday parties, um, things like that. Um, Luke, what are you looking for, man? Oh, don't, don't mind me. I'm just looking for a piece of paper and pencil so I can... Pile of scrap paper down there. Perfect. Uh, pens and utensils, writing utensils around the desk. Writing utensils. They're at my, so we're at my apartment, and they've never been here before. So anyway, uh, when I was a kid and I would go to these events, uh, my mom would go through this. Um, Where did my mattress go? In the other room. Okay. <laughs> my mom, goodness gracious. If I'm, not, uh, if I'm not off topic, you guys are getting me off topic. Um, it makes it funny. It does. So my mom would go through this, this um, script, I guess. Mind your manners. Say please and thank you. Um, eat what they put before you. Um, you know, even if you don't like it, you know, it was great. It was delicious. My, you know, all these things, you go through this thing, and, and it ultimately boiled down, and I think she might have said this verbatim, 
remember who you are. In the sense of remember your name, not just my name is Kyle, but remember your family name. Remember that you represent, when you go out to your friends and you engage with your friends and your friends' parents, you represent your father and, and your mother. And that still kind of sticks with me today. Even, even like right now sitting at this microphone on this podcast, like I have my family in mind. Now, to extend that forward, though, to the uh, scripture at hand, we as Christians, as followers of Christ, we represent God. We not only, as human beings, are formed in his image, and we have this thing that we call the Imago Dei, this, this thumbprint of, of God's uh, craftsmanship on us uh, explains my cowlicks. <laughs> just twisted the back of your head. <laughs> That'll do them. Uh, <laughs> but like, what we say and what we do and how we articulate ourselves when we say that we are Christians or we say that we're followers of Christ matters. The language we use when we talk about the gospel or talk about sin or talk about redemption and salvation and forgiveness matters. Mm-hmm. Because it not just represents, you're not speaking for yourself anymore. You're speaking for your brother and sister in Christ. You're speaking for the person that sits next to you in the pew at Sunday service. Preach! You are speaking on behalf of the Bible you say you read. Mm. And I say, you say you read because a lot of us, and myself included, don't always read it well. Oh, snap! Um... What we say, how we say it matters because we're representing the Almighty. Mm. You know, so I mean that that's like surface, you know, those were those were some of my immediate thoughts reading through the passages. So Yeah. Yeah. And um just like the difference <laughs> the difference between like the covenant understanding, um, the old covenant, how the people related to God how God related to them, and the new covenant, how people related to God, how God related to them. Um, it's just like a really, really wonderful concept to consider. Um, so if you haven't looked up that, like just look up old covenant, new covenant, and uh, should be okay. Yeah, and I'll, so to, to kind of dog leg off of that too, like a lot of times, a lot of times we look at like Old Testament God and New Testament God as being two very different things. Old Testament covenant and New Testament covenant being very different things. Um, some scholars and some theologians, myself included, um, hold to a school of thought called covenant theology. And basically that says that the stipulations of covenants made in the Old Testament, anytime that God made a covenant with humans, the umbrella covenant being made, the umbrella, the, 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 the overarching theme is grace. And the major stipulation, the, the way you boil it all down is going, God saying, trust me and obey me, and I'll bless you. That's it. From Abraham to Moses to David to Jesus, mm-hmm. that's the umbrella concept of every covenant God has made. And to go off that, I don't know if I've actually said this in the podcast but um, before, but it fits so well here. Um, I was in seminary and we were going over um, that 
uh, Abrahamic uh, covenant. I'm not sure what uh, chapter, probably like 18 or something. And um, they were talking, Abraham kind of split these animals in half and put them, you know, on either end of a, you know, small little groove in the land. And, um, and, 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 and this was how, this was how everybody back in that day made a covenant. So like, basically, if you were a small nation and then a large nation came and you made a covenant together, essentially the small nation is just like, yeah, I mean, if it'll save me, sure, I'll do whatever you want. So basically the small nation would take these animals, split them in half, put them on either side, and then the blood would run in the middle. And the small nation representative would walk in the middle of this valley, of, uh, 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 of this stream of blood, in a symbolic way of saying, look, if I break this covenant, you can kill us. You can kill me. Like, it's nuts. All right. So when God makes this covenant with Abraham, which he's familiar with making, Abraham is fully expecting to walk through the blood. It says that something, a spirit of fire, fire passed through the valley. And essentially it's saying God walked through the blood. God was the one who said, if this fails, it's on me. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, look at that in light of the cross. Mind blown. Yeah, you, you messaged this. This was a conversation you and I had over uh, text months ago. And I had to screen cap the conversation because as we were talking about it and you kind of put all that into perspective, like, I was speechless. I was like, this makes so much more sense. You know, because I had heard before that with God, with the Abrahamic covenant, God walks through the the sacrifices, and basically, it's not he's he kind of covenants of himself, like he swears by himself because there is nothing higher to swear by. Um, but John, your comments kind of took it a step further and kind of put that final piece together for me, and it is crazy to think about that, like. Um, you know, God kind of does all the legwork in a lot of this, this relationship that we have and the covenants that we have with him, like God does the legwork. He goes, look, all you got to do, trust me, obey me. I'll take care of the rest. And it's completely, completely opposite from other covenants of the day. Yeah. And, you know. and any other faith system, right? You know, and and I think because of that, that's why it, it's so crucial. Like going back to what I was saying before about what we say and how we say it matters. This is yeah. this has been this this has been like m- the thing I've been hounding on for the, like the last two years. Um, especially I think in light of personal experiences uh, throughout my life with different churches and, you know, church culture and how we talk about things, what we say and how we say it matters, how we talk about sin and redemption matters because if sin is just about not cursing and not drinking and not doing things and not thinking certain ways, well then why do we need Jesus? Cognitive behavioral therapy, coming from a counseling standpoint, could fix that. 
Uh, BT Dubs, Kyle has his master's in counseling. I do. Uh, and I currently work in human services, uh, working with um, adults uh, with special needs. So, uh, but if, if we just, t- if sin is just things that we do that are bad, that, that make God sad inside, and he kind of goes, oh, I wish you didn't do that. Why are why do we need Jesus? We could be Buddhist, we could be Muslim, we could be humanists that go to therapy twice a week or whatever. What does it matter? We can fix you can fix thought processes and behaviors without Jesus. But if it's something much more deeper than that, then you have a God who's willing to covenant with himself and say this all this is all on me. I will redeem you out of my own pocket. Yeah. Basically, like I'll pay for the, I'll pay for your damages out of my own pocket. Yeah. That's so Looney Tunes upside down. <laughs> like I just yeah, 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 it yeah. leaves me speechless. Luke, you're quiet. He, Luke is quiet. Don't mind me, I'm just taking notes. Taking notes. You should be talking notes. I know, but I'm I'm preparing what I want to say so that way it's not just all over the place. Yeah, okay, I appreciate Fair. you not wanting to word vomit. <laughs> well, okay, okay, okay. So what you said before about um, uh, about you know as Christians sometimes we think of our faith as you know we can't do this thing, we can't do that thing, we have to live this way and all that stuff. And like to to a certain extent, obviously that's true. Like you have you have to strive towards Christian living, okay? But what you were talking about earlier in kind of setting the stage about having, you know, pure hearts, about, you know, God confronting Christians maybe and saying, you know, y'all haven't managed the vineyard well, okay? So so I think that your conversation before, somebody could have taken that and led themselves towards a legalistic interpretation of how to live their life. Yeah. Which obviously... Is not one is not what God wants because we see that the Pharisees, the most legalistic people, following the law of God to a T, didn't really have the heart that was shown mercy that 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 God showed to them and extending that to others. I mean, I just preached on Jonah. It is like that. Yeah. The, it is the you know podcast episode before this one, and it is yeah tw- tw- twenty three. And it is all about Jonah refusing to forward his grace shown to him to other people. So this is just something that we have to think about. And, you know, we, we get caught up in, we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't do this, you know. And, and we put all these rules on ourselves. You know, some mm-hmm. Christians will say, well, I, I, I don't want to drink unless I'm at my house by myself, you know. And, and others will, will say something else. And, you know, I respect all viewpoints, Um you know, but, you know, for, for me, when you kind of force that interpretation on others and couple it with your understanding of God in general, that's where I get a little, eh. Right. Well, so, because what it does is it kind of creates this very shallow understanding of the Christian life right. and our relationship with God. And and the, so, let, let me tie two things together. A lot of our public discourse in America is very polarized. It's one or the other. It's left or right. It's Republican or Democrat. It's conservative or liberal. There is no middle ground anymore. It, or the middle ground is shrinking 
or those of us who are very moderate. At least in public perception. In public perception. But even in, like, in public perception. Even how people, like, want to view themselves and want to categorize themselves, like, they think they have to fit in a box. Right. So, again, but, like, the, the point being is, like, the same thing does tend to happen within theological circles, right? Or, or doctrinal camps. Um, and John, Luke, and I were actually talking about this last night. Um, Nashville Statement. We were talking about the Nashville Statement a little bit, but we were also talking about um, how you end up going so far one way towards liberal theology that you don't need Jesus because... Um, you know, you find ways to justify certain um, selfish and damaging behaviors or life uh, lifestyles, be it um, addictions of different size, different sorts, or, you know, whatever it might be. Well, I was talking to someone the other day, and they had said that they had met with a... Um a you know mainline pastor and this person had no problem whatsoever with premarital sex right so like it it, 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 it's something like that where it's like you know if you're going to take that interpretation like like where are your lines you know and and i understand different interpretations now i myself would not budge on that i would never preach that we should budge from that um but a lot of what i see in you know, this classic liberalism is um, freedom without a cause. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a pretty fair, uh, fair way to, to summarize what I was trying to get at. The, both directions. If you go strict fundamentalist, Let's legalist. Go. Let's go. Or you go far liberal like we were just talking about. You dismiss Jesus. And to be fair, let's talk a little bit about conservative evangelicalism because I know I don't want to alienate um, some of our more um, yeah. Let's let's define liberal. terms. Um, so conservative evangelicalism. So Kyle and I um, both take the standpoint of um, I'm just going to pacify this a little bit. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> that <laughs> both both take the interpretation that you know Christians, you know, we shouldn't really be you know excited about killing people. No matter what. Like, let's just simplify it down to that. Yeah. Um, if you're going to be pro-life, be pro-life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All across the board. Um, so anyway, so Kyle and I um, went to Karen University, and I specifically remember a classmate who um, s- believed that the American military was literally God's army on earth. And he was so on board with everything that they, that, that they did that there was no question in his mind that everything that they did was justified and permissible by God's standards, you know, even God-directed, okay? So we look at that, and just as I will say to people on the ultra-liberal end, I will say to people in this standpoint, like, um, where is the room for Jesus in that interpretation? Like, I have really good friends who are um, veterans, who are in the military, who are entering the military, and I respect them all because they don't have this vile view that permits the death of another human being so easily. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, that's... If I'm going to say anything, that's what I'm going to say. Yeah, so I... uh, yeah, that that's that's 
decent example. Well, yeah, that's pretty decent examples of, of the two extremes, right? So, um, you know, theologically speaking, if you go far left, there's no room for Jesus because you're you're um, you're you're justifying um, any way that a person might feel led to live. On the mm-hmm. far right end of things, you dismiss Jesus because you don't leave room for grace and redemption. You try and take it on yourself to fix yourself. Um, but there is this weird middle ground I've been finding where Jesus grace kind of says, you don't have to be super strict about everything, you know, but you do have to be conscientious about what, what are you endorsing? What are you actually living out? Um, and are you willing to renounce things for the sake of the gospel? Um, you know, there has to be that room to, to let Jesus convict and repent and change your mind and change your behavior, um, for the sake of, um, for the sake of the gospel that you're claiming, you know, uh, oh. Luke stop Luke stop writing. I did. I'm sorry. Right, Luke, I need you to share your notes because we are like 45 minutes in, which it'll be shorter cuz we'll edit out some stuff. And you are a silent man. You're not a silent man, my friend. I know. I so, what that. what are your thoughts on what Kyle and I have been discussing or just in general? Uh, well, I guess to kind of go go back to what you were stating about identity and what uh, what this looks like from a new covenant perspective. I have some thoughts and some some ideas that I want to pour, pour out. Okay. Do it up. Okay, so throughout the entire Bible, not even just the New Testament, but from the very beginning, starting with Abraham, we find uh, that God is more interested in relationship than he is with contract. Mm. Yeah. So to kind of prove that scripturally, uh, we can look at the earliest stories of Abraham where God and Abraham are talking together like they are friends. You see a very close relationship between the two of them that is inseparable and it says in the old testament that faith or that abraham's faith was counted unto him as righteousness which comes from the the abrahamic covenant and the and it also says a lot about their relationship together the the mosaic covenant was basically introduced because the Israelites wanted it to be so. Jews often lived in fear of God and were more interested in just appeasing him so that they did not get on his bad side. Yeah. Uh, so, inevitably, after, after God has, several, uh, has made several attempts to be in relationship with them, he finally decides, okay, 
if that's what you want, then that's exactly what you're going to get. Mm. So he says that, or he, he gives, he gives them what they wanted, which was essentially a contract. And he allowed the law instead of relationship because that is exactly what they wanted. And God is the full embodiment of love, which means that you don't force anything on anyone. Uh, and, of course, because, because of the fallen state that we are in, our natural tendency, especially in, in the context of a, of a contract as opposed to a covenant, is to do the very opposite. Our nature says, oh, that's a, that's a rule. Let me go break it. It's true. Yeah. So inevitably what ends up happening through the Old Testament is Jews or the Israelites hoard themselves to other gods and eventually to other different kinds of sin and practices that were completely against what God had, f had intended from the beginning. So eventually, they're exiled. Mm -hmm. um, but the interesting thing, though, was that even, even with all the 613 laws and regulations and all of those things, especially in the sacrificial system, there was a massive sense of foreshadowing of the cross. Mm. So enter Jesus. The word says that he is the perfect represent, uh, represent, oh my gosh, representation of God the Father. Colossians 2.9, baby. There you go. Um, he, he showed up and he was nothing like what the Jews were expecting at the time. They were initially expecting a a conqueror that would defeat Rome and completely just annihilate that entire kingdom and bring the kingdom of God to earth that way. Which, which is translated goes, they want, they said they wanted the kingdom of God, but really they just wanted the kingdom of Israel. Yeah. Oh, I mean that uh, I've never really put it in those terms before, but that's actually a pretty decent way to think about it. Yeah, do Christians right. want the kingdom of God, or do they want the kingdom of America? Boom! I'm sorry for those audio listeners who are using headphones. I'm sorry, I got excited. I started like rocking on the couch. <laughs> so there's a there's a pastor and author Brian Zand. I don't know if I say uh, I Zand, follow, Zand. Zand. I don't, I don't know. He has. I follow him on Twitter, and uh, sometimes a bad idea. <laughs> it's um it's entertaining he he definitely uh takes uh he's bold enough i'll put it this way he's bold enough to say uh empire as a parallel between the roman empire and american uh militarism and things like that and he, he draws that parallel you know and it, kingdom kingdom of god or kingdom of israel kingdom of god or Kingdom, of, Kingdom man. of Man. Yeah. So if you want to check out one of his books that kind of focuses on that element, um, check out uh, Brian Zahn's book, A Farewell to Mars. 
Yeah, he also put out a new one I really want to read, uh, Sinners yeah. in the Hands of a Loving God, uh, which is yeah. he kind of takes a twist on um, Jonathan. Jonathan Edwards' uh, famous or infamous, depending on your perspective, uh, sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. So yeah. I'm excited to read that in, in time. Same. Go ahead, Luke. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're good. Oh, and Luke, um, yeah. feel free to break away from your notes and just casually converse as well. Oh, yeah, of course. So, whatever you want. Uh, I guess the uh, where I was going with this was Jesus was not only the perfect representation of the Father, but he was also the full embodiment of love. He not only showed it, but he walked in it, which is what we are called to do. Jesus, uh, the way Jesus lived is the perfect representation of how we are to live. Jesus says that he, he only did what he f- saw the Father doing, which goes into the leading of the Holy Spirit and knowing what the will of God is for our individual lives and all of that. But the main, the main place he operated from was the fact that he knew who he was because, he, uh, because of the love of the Father that, that was in him. He knew that his father loved him. And from that place, he was able to love without feeling like he had to be refilled by others or uh, try and get others approval or popularity or what are to feel loved. And on top of that, love itself fulfills the law, which is also scripture. If you, if you are walking from a place of love, then you will automatically just walk in, in the righteousness of, of God through, uh, through what is written in the law. It will not be difficult. It will be second nature, in a sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the idea. I, I, that's kind of the crux of what Jesus kind of gets at, where he's like, Everything that, that you, th- your young men spend their entire childhood and adolescence memorizing the Torah and the Old Testament, all boiled down to two sentences, mm-hmm. one sentence, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Like, you spent 12, 12 years as children memorizing stuff, and I just summed up in a sentence. <laughs> like, if, if you're pursuing God... Everything that you are commanded that you were commanded to do or you're supposed to be and do will come second nature. Right. You know? And yeah, it's I think we, we make much ado about nothing in, in church culture. Yes. About oh you in many ways. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like just chill out, slow down, like stop thinking about your building, stop thinking about your programs and events. Just have dinner with the person next door. Like, have dinner with your neighbor. You yeah. know? That, chill out. <laughs> chill out, church! Right. So, we're kind of caught in this tension of, you know, obviously, we don't have to be, like, we don't have to read the Torah and memorize it, and we don't have to follow 613 laws in order to be saved and we don't have to make animal sacrifices and everything like that but we still have that all important role 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You mm-hmm. know, and that's something that you know. You may be listening to us, and you may have heard it heard it said. You know, if you follow me, then you know. Follow, if you are a believer, then following me is just like in your second nature. Like it, it, it won't, it won't, you know, be something that you have to look hard for. And like sometimes, uh, a lot of times that that's a case, even if we're not perfectly living, we can kind of like feel something within us that's like, huh, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes, sometimes we may be doing something that like, that we don't believe it to be, you know, bad or anything like that. And then somebody else may approach us and, you know, maybe it's bad for them or maybe it's bad, you know, in, in general and we just don't know. And then th- that, that's an opportunity for us to realize, okay, well, I have to be compassionate about my fellow person here and respect their wishes. And also it's a chance to check ourselves, you know. Right. Are we doing whatever we're doing because we legitimately think that it's within God's plan for our life or are we just doing it because it's what we want to do? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <coughs> And to kind of go into that a little more, uh, the the scripture, if you love me, keep my commandments, I want mm-hmm. to give a little bit of perspective on that. So many Christians look at that and say, if you love me, you will do these things or else. But what it's actually, or it's, to put it in a more modern context, if you love me, Go do the dishes. <laughs> if you love me, please just really show me that you love me. My wife isn't listening right now, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Bachelor life, right? <laughs> but I mean, think of it as a normal relationship. If you are in a committed relationship, regardless of whether or not it's a romantic one, mm-hmm. you are, uh, you are in the place where you don't want. You don't want to do anything to hurt that other person. Uh, but yeah, I feel like what Jesus was saying was, if you love me, don't, don't act or behave in a way that, is, that hurts me. Similarly, in, say, a friendship where you're, you've got somebody who you love as a brother or a sister you wouldn't intentionally do the thing that they hate most mm. because you know that that would hurt them. Yeah. 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 It's like, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's like, um, I don't know what it's like. You know, I, I just, it, it's something. just, it's just a really good point. Like it's, it's a great analogy. So um, I'm the only one uh, married here, and um, being married is um, awesome, but there's so many funny moments that I just want to share with the world, but I can't because my wife would be embarrassed. So, <laughs> or, or, you know, or she would look out better for me and said, John, no, you shouldn't share that. Yeah, um, and see, you have minimal shame. <laughs> factual. So uh, <laughs> what you go is, oh, yeah, this is cool. Everybody goes, ah, John, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> Probably shouldn't share that, John. True, 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 true. But you know, there's you know there's instances where like you know I I I want to share something or like she's sleeping and you know it it looks cute and adorable you know but I don't want to share that because then she she would be mad 
you know, at me. So it's like those little things where it's just like, how can I best represent my wife even when she's not around me? How can I best represent my wife, you know, even if I'm out with the guys, you know? Um, <laughs> you know, so it, that, you know, that's kind of something that I as a married man think about and it's something that connects to our Christian living, you know, and how we represent God. So like mm-hmm. there's, you know, as you grow older and as you develop more friendships and, you know, meet new people, there's going to be situations where, you know, you're confronted with situations that make you uncomfortable because of your faith or because of whatever. And you have to kind of wade in that uncomfortability, you know, and sometimes you feel strength to speak up and sometimes, you know, you don't. But the tension within you is evidence that there's something inside of you wrestling what's against the will of God for your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, and to jump off of that, I, I kind of want to go into the subject of identity and what that really looks like, especially from God's perspective, how he sees us rather than how we see him. Um, because I feel like so much of the previous generations have done the hellfire and brimstone tactic to the nth degree and it's ultimately completely unhelpful. And now we have this distorted view of wh- what God is like and how he actually views us. And some of you might be wondering, okay, how do I have a relationship with God? How, how do I understand who God is? And on top of that, who am I and who am I in the context of that relationship? Um, scripture says that we have been, um, let me see, I just, I just wrote it down here, one second, um, we have been given the mind of Christ, we have a new nature, and we are, we are new creations, so what do those things mean? Because we, we just kind of read over them and we don't actually take the time to really think about what that means. So if we are given the mind of Christ, what does that look like? We, ha- we literally, when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit and when we are, in, uh, when we are saved, Jesus literally becomes one with our spirit. So, because of that, we literally have his mind. We have been given his mind to, to understand not only who he is, but who we are. We've been also given a new nature. Hmm. We've also been created into new, new things. We have been made into a new creation. So... To look at some of the Greek there, uh, when it says when it's when it's translated into English, it's not pr- it's not fully. Uh, it doesn't fully say what's actually written in the Greek. The Greek literally states that we are a totally different being. We're not just something that's revamped. Hmm. It's like we are. Uh, t- to give a, a comparison, 
we are no longer a dog, but we are now a seraphim. Not not literally like that, but no. no I for those who might not know what a seraphim is, what is it? Oh, right. So seraphim, uh, one uh, specifically one of the angels around the throne of God. Okay, but. Anyway, the point that I was trying to make was that bec- uh, we are literally transformed into something totally different. We are no longer the man we once were, but we are totally different beings. Well, I I tend to look at it similarly to that, but it it's um it's the idea of redemption. It's kind of what John and I talked about the last time I was on on here with on what did you say it was seventeen? Yeah, episode seventeen. Um, where it's, that's part of redemption. Like Mm -hmm. God is, God is in the the business of remodeling, not demolition. God is in the process, uh, in the business of, um, you know, taking something that is broken, inherently broken and, um, bent on its own destruction and redeeming it and turning it into what he intended it to be in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's like redeemed natures, which is the title of my future book. Shameless plug. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag not an ad. <laughs> Hashtag not an ad. <laughs> I just had to add that in. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, um, and that's, and that's a huge difference, right? So like, a lot of times, so we've, the three of us have grown up in what I call church culture. Basically, it's, it's the sort of, um, everybody go, we go to church because that's what we do. Uh, the pastor talks a certain way. We dress a certain way. We expect certain things from youth groups, certain activities. Um, we expect a certain set of languages and, and catchphrases. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, you know, a big push like we focus the gospel in, in, in church culture in a lot of our churches, we, we talk about the gospel and we focus it on getting to heaven. Mm-hmm. So we either cannot go to hell or not get left behind. Right. And for those of you who weren't growing up in the nineties and the early thousands, <laughs> that kind of scared the crap out of you a little bit. Slightly. <laughs> um, but the question I kind of came across once, and um, here's a book recommendation, The Very Good Gospel by Lisa, Lisa Sharon Harper. Um, sh- she, as well as others, kind of asked the question, what good is heaven? What good is the promise of heaven when we have questions and problems here on right. earth? Christ talks about the kingdom of heaven here. He talks about being different here. He talks about redemption here. Mm. He talks about the restoration of all things, the new heavens and the new earth here. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's that's what we're talking about here. Like, that's what you're getting at is this idea that transformation happens now. Transformation and redemption happens today. Not tomorrow. Not when we die and go to heaven. Not when Jesus tipped dips his toe into the stratosphere and doesn't actually make a second coming. Right. John's dying over here. <laughs> no, I, I just thought of a song. Um, oh. Well, well, it's, I'm also dying because like 
Kyle and I bond over talking about the redemption of all things because it's such a wonderful, mind-blowing it, topic. But, it really is. Um, yeah, another plug, not for me, but for an artist. Um, check out the song You Make Beautiful Things or Beautiful Things by Gungor. Oh, I love uh, Just, like, look it up on YouTube and um, check it out. I was going to sing it, and then I was like, oh, I might get sued. So I'm just going to recommend it. No, I it. think you're fine if you, like, only use, like, a cer- like, five seconds. Okay, ready? You're fine. You make beautiful things. There you go. Okay. No lawsuit. Thanks, right. Gungor. Yep. <laughs> right. Make beautiful things out of dust. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but again, like that kind of brings us back. It restores the image that we were born with. That right. It, it brings us back to that, bring, bringing the whole conversation back around to who are we representing? What is our identity? Right. Um, you know, most of the gods, you know, of ancient Near Eastern or other religions, like they create human beings. Human beings are a byproduct Mm -hmm. or they are, um, you know, meant for the, the purposes of, um, you know, serving or, or, uh, you know, working for that deity. However, you have Yahweh come along and he creates us as an intended part of creation and not only that, but he partners with us. He says, you're going to be my partners. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to reflect me in a lot of different ways, but you're going to reflect me because you're going to create, you're going to cultivate, you're going to steward. Right. And we're going to walk together. We're going to work together. We're going to till the soil. We're going to tame animals. We're going to make clothes. We're going to build buildings. Like, we're going to do this together. Right. You know, and, and here we are. And that's part of what we do. And, and I'm, I'm kind of grateful that I'm seeing some of this come out, this, this kind of language, this kind of I- ideas coming out more and more mm-hmm. um, in, in, in Christian more popular culture. Yeah. Like um, folks like the Missio Lions, um, you or know, is a major Relevant thing. has been talking a lot. Yeah, Relevant. This, you know, and, and, and things like that. But um it makes a difference. It yeah. makes a difference in the language we use and how we present ourselves uh, and and who we ultimately are saying that we represent. Yeah, and we were talking about this a little earlier, you know, like your, your understanding of the end times. Like if you believe that the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket, you know, then what met, what really motivates you to treat people well? Like that may motivate you to share to share the gospel, which is wonderful, and you, and we need to be doing that. But what motivates you to actually take part in restoring, you know, the earth and being active members of the kingdom of God? If your view is that everything is going to hell anyway, right? You know, and you know, and d- different views have different per- takes. So whatever view you currently hold about the end times, like. Think about how it currently affects your life and what are the positive and negative ways that it may affect your life. And you don't have to change your interpretation, but, you know, possibly you can change how you live in the moment in reflection of that view. Yeah. I I mean, I had um, Dr. Gossard at Cairn. She, She did a lot of with science kind of courses. And in talking about you know, different topics. She said, the most important thing you need to know is the holes in your own stance. Hold your stance by all means, please do, you know, settle yourself into a theological camp. It's not wrong. However, I think you need to be willing to know and acknowledge your blind spots. 
Mm-hmm. You need to be willing to look into other options, other interpretations, other ways of, of thinking and processing through it. Um, and be willing, be willing to humble yourself and, and capitulate when, you know what, I don't have a good answer for certain questions that my argument raises. Right. Um, and that's part of Christian living. And that's part of, I think, what Paul talks about when he talks about living in unity. Right. Right. Like, okay, we can kind of come to, we can express the corporate nature of the church in different ways. I think we can articulate the gospel using different language and words that make sense to the context and the culture and the people that we're talking to. Um, But when it gets down to the nitty gritty stuff, like when, to put it in Paul's context, you know, you know, certain food items that should or shouldn't be consumed. Like, okay, like some people are okay with eating and some people aren't, but talk about it. You know, be willing to humble yourself over it. Don't ask yourself, what hills am I willing to die on? You know, and that's, that's another question I've been kind of pondering for myself. And I, I've kind of been narrowing down some of the hills I'm willing to die on, which ones I'm not, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and some of them aren't necessarily directly related to redemption and salvation or the Christian. They're, they're more tangentially living, uh, mm-hmm. re- related. But here's a hill that I will absolutely die on, that I will preach a sermon if it, even if it gets me fired from the church. You, I will never, ever deny the divinity of Jesus Christ, ever. And when I hear people deny that who still claim to be Christians— it infuriates me. Um, there's, there's no way to get around it. I don't understand it. That's just my hill to die on. Yeah. Right. And to kind of make a side note on that, the early, the early followers were mocked and called Christians. Uh, why would you, why would you follow somebody, especially if you know you are going to die? If why would you follow somebody and then end up dying for for somebody who's just another man? Mm. Absolutely. Um, and it's it's a crazy thing. And you know we're getting we're getting a little long here, so I just wanted to make a comment about you know youth ministry and how talking about identity is so important. So we had a good time talking about the theo- the theology of identity, the theology of being redeemed, the theology of being made new. Um, and, you know, all, all those things and had a great, you know, discussion on the covenants and what incredible theological, mind-blowing things that is. And for some of our listeners, you may get it and you may be like, yes, 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 go, go, go. Like I get when I listen to N.T. Wright, it's like a football game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you sent me one of his lectures and yeah, I'm the, I get the same way. It's insane. Um, I'm just like, bring it home, sir, touchdown. All right. So, but anyway, like. So you struggle a lot with identity. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of us, like whatever point we are at our life, like lives, we, a lot of us struggle with identity. And from a youth's perspective, you know, especially in middle school, they have no idea really who they are yet apart from, you know, their parents, apart from what society expects from them perhaps. Um, and they're kind of thrushed, uh, thrusted into this world where 
you know, they are being bullied, where they're being insulted, and then they're, they're you know, brought to church by parents or brought to church um, e- even just because they want to. And, you know, it's extremely important how we convey messages to these kids, mm-hmm. you know. Do we convey a message of my religion is all about, fu- uh, all about obeying these rules, all about, you know, all, all, all about, you know, not having sex, you know, all, all about not drinking, all about not doing the, those things, or is my religion about redemption? Is my religion about redeeming everything there is yeah. and God showing me the most love that I've ever felt in my whole entire life? John, I got a question. What is the general age bracket? So you do this podcast, and I was when you told me, when you pitched this podcast to me, it's been, what, a little bit more than a year ago? Like, it's probably not, yeah, between pitching, yeah, probably. So you pitched it to me, and you explained your, your idea, and I loved it. The idea that it was, the idea of the podcast was a prep for uh, your lesson for the week. A prep or a recap, yeah. Or a recap, um, but it was something that students could listen to and still understand and keep up with the conversation at hand if they missed right. a week, or they, right. and more importantly, they, were, they might have the opportunity to listen to it with their parents. Yeah. So that being said, my question is, um, what's your general age bracket? So I'll, I'll preface this in saying that what I present in the podcast is generally a little bit more formal than what I would actually present as a lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my youth group, we have people from 7th to 12th grade. Okay. So essentially, I present a big idea, and then we um, kind of converse about it. Okay. Um, so... Middle school, high school. Correct. All right. Here's, here's, okay, students that are listening. I hope you're listening. If you're not, get good. Not, get, like, start listening. Listen to this podcast. It's, it's worth your while. Here's my two cents for you to bring it all back home. I've worked with youth and young adults most of my life from 2008 I started working at a summer camp from 2010 to 2016 I was with a youth group and a young adults group I do college age ministry I'm not just talking out the side of my my mouth I'm like I'm not just making this stuff up here's here's something I wish somebody told me when I was in seventh grade here's what I wish somebody in the church was teaching me when I was in 10th grade. And here's something I wish somebody was telling me when I was graduating high school. God loves you. The people who in, invest in your life, John, your parents, your teachers, whoever it is that is actively pursuing you and investing and pouring out love and truth into your life, you're worth it. Your identity is inherently worth it because, like I said before, when you were born, when you were conceived, God kind of stamped his thumbprint on your life. You reflect God, and that makes you inherently worth it. That makes you worth redeeming. That makes you worth cultivating and investing in and, and calling out from destructive thoughts, from from harmful practices that you might have gotten yourself sucked into for whatever reason. Maybe you just, maybe it was even ignorance. I know 
for myself, like I got caught into being hard on myself academically for whatever reason, you know, and like it wasn't worth it because it's not important. What's important is that you're investing in your academics because knowledge is important. Learning is important. It's an important activity to do. And you are capable of more than you think you, you are able to do. The thing that bugs me most about students is that they make excuses. I believe in you, and I've never met you. John believes in you. He spends every week with you, sometimes twice a week. You are capable of more because God has called you to more. Even if it's something stupid and mundane like going to class and opening a book. Read, research, ask questions, have conversations. Pursue God in prayer and in, conver- in, in relationships. These are the things that will give you a healthier foundation to your faith than many of, the, many of your peers, many of my peers were given as kids, right? Like your identity is focused in who God made you and who he wants to make you into. The question is, to bring it back to the scripture we were talking about, when the Son of God comes to the vineyard and you're staying there as a tenant who should have been tending the vineyard, are you going to say, I'm sorry, here, let's fix this, or are you going to reject the, the Son who has come to, to make things right? That's the ultimate question that you have to consider. Are you going to pursue redemption and grace and love and mercy, or are you going to reject it and continue down your path and leading others astray along the way? I believe in you. I highly encourage you to pursue the former. <laughs> um, it's worthwhile. I don't, I say this to my students. I love theology. I love intellectual things. I love philosophy. I love those, those abstract things. I don't require you to love it like me. I just require you to pursue Jesus. It looks different for you than it does for me, but ultimately the pursuit is the same. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'm actually kind of glad that you mentioned the subject of worthiness uh, to kind of go into that a little bit. I'm, I'm actually going to give a little bit of my testimony. Um, so something that I, that I dealt with uh, most of my life was um, not only severe depression, not only suicide, but I dealt with homosexuality. And I was told by the church that I was damned and going to hell, that God hated me, and that he didn't want anything to do with me. And I was told by the world, just embrace it, just be yourself and be gay. But I realized deep down inside of my heart that neither one of these things was correct. So I've been on this really, really long journey of figuring out who I am and how God sees me. And one of the most profound uh revelations that I got from Jesus himself was, I am worthy. He says, or he said to me specifically, that I was worth dying for, so therefore I am worthy. 
often we interchange worthy and deserving and make it the same thing, but it's not. To be deserving of something, that connotates that you have done something to earn something. Worthy is being, uh, is having inherent value. There is a huge difference between the two. And for me, when Jesus came to me personally and not only healed me of this mindset, believing that I was gay and damned, I, I, f I for the first time, realized that I am so significantly loved by a God who was willing to die for me because he could not live a day without me. That is what hit me really, really hard. And I want to let you guys know that you may go through some things and you might even struggle with the same thing or cutting or having sex or whatever, but all of it is just to try and numb something or numb some kind of pain deep within, uh, deep within yourselves. But I want you to know that Jesus not only loves you, but he is passionately in love with you, so much so that he was willing to die to save you from being away from him. He doesn't want to be without you. He wants you to know that he loves you and desires you and wants you to be with him for the rest of eternity. Amen. Yeah, I know um, being friends with Luke since, I don't know, 2010. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, the past seven years, you know, just seeing Luke um, kind of go through a lot and, you know, hearing his stories and hearing, um, hearing his experience with God. Um, you know, it's really amazing to see the amount of peace that I genuinely see in him right now. Um, and, you know, to see, to, to, to see God showing him that he is worthy when others have told him that he's not. You know, and mm -hmm. that's so important. If any of my youth students are listening, you know, it's so important for you to realize that you are worthy. Um, no matter what it is you think makes you unworthy, you are worthy because Christ died. Mm. And that's an amazing thing. And you don't have to do anything to earn it. Right. Right. <sighs> Thank you, Luke. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, I know. If I'll just share it quick. Um, when I was a teen, I struggled with uh, depression for several years, and it heightened. Um, it's the summer after ninth grade, and um, I actually had, you know, suicidal thoughts. And um, God, God showed me that my life was worthy through me almost drowning at the beach and looking up at God saying, you can take me now. I'm ready. 
because it was riptide. I wasn't a good swimmer. Everything I tried failed. And as soon as I prayed that prayer, I was able to go towards shore. So to me, in a different way, but in the same way, God showed me that I was worthy when I did not consider my life worthy at all of continuing. And that was really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The, um, by redemption, Christ gives new purpose. And and that's the thing. Like we sometimes we expect these grandiose tale adventures of faith, like in the, like in the Bible. And a lot of times, like, it's just this. It's just the opportunity to stand back up, dust yourself off, and live another boring mundane day. And sometimes you get to stand up, dust yourself off, and go, oh. Wow. Okay. That that's that's new. I hadn't considered that before. That's that puts things into real perspective. And the thing I hold on to at the end of the day um in my very first theology class, the professor said no matter how complicated the topic gets, no matter how stressful life gets, no matter you know, whatever doesn't make sense anymore. When you, when you get to the end of the day, one thing still will always remain true. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. A lot of life doesn't make sense. A lot of the Bible doesn't make sense. It raises more questions than it does answers. And faith doesn't make sense. And there's no, Oh, there's not, it's hard conversations. It's, Navigating the waters of culture and society is not easy, but is that the thing you're going to cling to? Like, what what is the foundation? Is 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 your foundation rooted in Christ's love and in His redemption? If it is, then even the hardest day, the the longest, darkest night of the soul you're going to wake up the next morning and go, okay, this is going to suck, but I can do this, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it'll, it'll be fine. You know, it'll be fine in the long run. It might not be fine the next hour, the next day, the next week, but it'll be fine in the long run because that's how redemption works. Right. That that's, and that's where identity in Christ and faithfulness to what you've been called to stands as a firmer foundation than your uh, academic standing, your economic income, your, you know, sexual or gender identity, whatever it is that you say, this is, this defines me. uh, It's all going to ring hollow at the end of the day compared to, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of good content here, good conversations, good discussion. I hope that some areas spoke to you 
Um, I'd love it if all of it spoke to you, um, but I hope that some areas spoke to you. Um, so I thank you for the guests, Kyle, and go ahead. You're welcome. <laughs> and Luke. I'll come back. And, and Luke. Before you before you close out, I actually have, uh, I, I just heard God sell, uh, tell me something. Okay, go ahead. So uh, what I'm about to do is actually prophesy over someone. Uh, and basically all prophecy is, is being able to hear the voice of God and speak what he is saying to other people. Um, I feel like there is somebody uh, who's listening or somebody who is a part of uh, this youth group who is really, really battling not only depression, but also cutting and suicide. Um, uh, I'm also seeing pills uh, as a means or a plan of how to get rid of yourself, and I feel like this person is a girl. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but uh, if I am, then uh, whatever. But I feel like God wants to say, it, your time is not now. I see the pain that you are in, and I want you to know that I am with you no matter what happens. And I am so deeply in love with you. And I have a plan for your life that is beyond anything that you could have ever imagined. Well, I, I, um, I trust Luke's... Um Luke's interpretation in, in a lot of things, and if someone is listening who that identifies with, please, please heed the words that Luke communicated to you that are the words of God for your life. Um, if you are a member of the youth group that I oversee, or you have some personal connection with me, please, please, please come talk to me. Um, so with that being said, um, let's summarize everything that we've talked about, everything that we've prayed for, um, with praying the Lord's Prayer together. Um, listeners, you can pray it with us as well. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we use debts and debtors instead of trespasses and, you know, trespass. Thank I guarantee you. you, I will not remember that and I'll mess it up. <laughs> like, okay. I, like I did last time. It's okay. When it's okay. we mess up in scripture reading or anything else, it actually helps other people see that you know, it's okay. Yeah. So mess up if you want to. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you for your permission. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Let's pray. Our, Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.